Hey guys, Mark Meckler here, President of Convention Estates. We're coming to you tonight with a special presentation. And this is not about Convention Estates per se. It's not about calling a convention, but it is near and dear to my heart. And it is very, very quintessentially grassroots. Today in the United States of America, private property, your private property rights, your right to own real property, your right to use your property as you see fit, your right to access public properties are under wide scale assault. And it's not secret, and this is not some kind of a conspiracy theory. I would argue it is a government conspiracy. Many people involved, many uh, different departments in government, government at many levels involved. But the goal is the 30 by 30 plan. And that is the idea that by 2030, the federal government desires to, and has set an agenda to be in control of at least 30% of the real estate and water resources in the United States of America, to have them under its purview. And by under its purview means not your purview, not your private property, not your ability to see and use property as you see fit. And so this is something that will undermine the very foundations of our society. And it's not that, that's not just it. It goes broader than that. This goes out, they intend to control 50% by 2050. This is an outrageous land grab being conducted by our government under our noses. It has a lot of different names. And this is one of the things that makes it so difficult and so insidious. Uh, there's rails to trails, a lot of other things that they call this in order to get control of all this land. And by the way, they're doing this on a broad scale. They want to control our energy, our water, our land, our food production, cattle. All of these things are going on right now. So sometimes... You know, people say, well, are you only doing convention of states? There's so much other stuff going on. And the answer is no, we're doing a lot of stuff and we try to pay attention to everything. We can't do everything. We certainly don't lead on everything because I don't believe that that's the way good and true conservative organizations act. And what I try to do is find the best of the best in any given field that our grassroots are concerned about. And our grassroots are definitely becoming more and more concerned about this issue. And then I tried to bring the best of the best to the table so that you get the best information and that you can be led by the best. I'm not the best on this issue. I can't know everything. I know a limited amount about this. I know enough to be absolutely uh, furious about it. Uh, I know enough that it's fundamental to our rights that we should be concerned about it as grassroots activists. I believe this is an issue of self-governance. So it's true to our missions organization. And I know enough to know the right people. And so one of the things we're gonna do tonight is you're gonna hear from the people that I believe are the top experts on our side in this field. Uh, they're friends of mine from Texas. They've been fighting back against this stuff for a long time. They had a great organization called American Stewards for Liberty. Uh, and this is a married couple like me and Patty in the fight for liberty. This is Dan and Margaret Byfield. So what I'm gonna do is introduce our good friends, the Byfields. I'm gonna let you guys take it away from here. I just want you to run the show the way you would normally do let people know what's going on and then I'll come back on afterwards and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about with a couple other people Joanne Martin from COS who you know uh, and Angel Cushing out of Kansas who you know we'll talk about how folks can really get involved but I'm going to turn it over to you guys and let you take it away well thank you Mark it is great to be here and really appreciate you stepping up and helping us on these property rights issues you know you're right property rights is fundamental to everything and let me just start by a basic principle so people kind of understand our perspective of, about property and it's kind of a history lesson but 
thinking back to how our nation was founded, you know, we have a great constitution, we have a great bill of rights, so do other nations. So what makes America different and unique? And what that is, is our founders understood that the way we were able to protect those rights is if the people always owned the land. So if you remember back to our founding, one of the first real disagreements after the Revolutionary War was that the states were having to pull all of the lands that they owned into one place so that the federal government could distribute it. And that was a huge battle because the people did not want the federal government to have any control over the lands. And so the only way they did that was that the federal government agreed every acre would be disposed and they would not hold on to one of them. And then you fast forward to when Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase, 540 million acres he purchased from France. Every acre of that was distributed and settled by the people. It was not held on by the federal government. And that was because they understood that the way that Americans would always be able to control their government and limit their government and have individual liberties is if the people own the land and the natural resource base. Now, that changed uh, when the West was settled. And so today, 50% of the West is owned by the federal government. And they have been working to take more and more of our land ever since. And so that really brings us to 30 by 30, which is, is the one of the primary talk, topics we want to talk about today with you all. But I just want to lay that foundation because I think sometimes that's one of the fundamental things about our nation that people don't remember. Or, or, or today in our school system, nobody is taught. So we have to teach that. We have to teach that property rights are more important than fighting a um, made-up climate crisis, because that's what we're being taught in our schools. So I just want to lay that foundation. And then actually, I'm, I'm hoping, I want to come back up a little bit and turn it over to Dan and see if he will just do kind of a short introduction on our organization and how we got going. And, uh, and then we could jump into the topic. Thanks, Margaret. Um, thank you, Mark, for having us. I really do appreciate this. Margaret and I have been in these battles for over 30 years. And uh, when she and I got married about 20 years ago, uh, we had two different organizations. We merged them. It became American Stewards of Liberty. And it's our belief that you, the people uh, in America who own the land and the resources can control our government. But it's when the government starts buying more land and controlling more land and the resources, they control the people. So our, our philosophy is basically that land is liberty and we have to fight for these issues. And so that's what Margaret and I have been doing. And when Biden got into office and uh, signed his executive order uh, for 30 by 30, we knew we had a battle in front of us. And so we've been fighting it for the past three years. Uh, and uh, I think we've had some pretty good success, but we've got good friends like you and others out there. And I'm hoping what we do tonight is inform and educate your members as to why they need to be in this battle uh, and help us all uh, fight our government uh, from taking all of our land. 
Well, I'm going to go ahead and thanks, Dan. I'm going to go ahead and jump into what 30 by 30 is. And Mark, you laid a really good foundation. I mean, you have a good understanding of what it is. But let me just give a little bit more uh, foundation for it. So 30 by 30 was initiated in America on January 27th, 2021. And um, the first thing to understand about it is it is an international agenda. So this is not something that America made up. It's something that it actually started uh, years ago in other nations and has been lodged in other nations. And we're seeing the products from this uh, with the fights that we're seeing in, over in the European nations with uh, the Netherlands, where uh, 2,000 to 3,000 of their landowners have been instructed by their government to voluntarily sell their land to the federal government in order to limit their nitrogen emissions. Now, Netherlands is under a program called that they signed on to called uh, Natura 2000. Natura 2000 is the equivalent of 30 by 30 in America. So let me tell you what 30 by 30 is. It is an international agenda to permanently protect 30% of, of the world's lands and oceans. So we're not just talking about land, we're also talking about oceans. Now we focus on the land part, but just so you have that broader perspective. And as Mark explained, it's the first step in the agenda. These people who are promoting this agenda actually have um, a bigger goal. And it's something they call the half earth philosophy, where they believe in order to save humanity, we must permanently protect 50% of the world's lands and oceans. So um, it's a very radical concept. When they say permanently protect, they are talking about lands that we the people do not use. So just think about it, it's off limits to any human use. No oil and gas, no grazing, no mining, no timber production, no recreation. Uh, these are lands that need to be set aside and protected. When you read their literature, you will find that in pretty much everything that they say, it starts with this premise that the earth is fragile. And um, that's really interesting. And if you have a biblical perspective on land ownership, then you know that uh, we are stewards of the land, that we were charged to be to productively use the lands. And there's not anything in the Bible that uh, makes it clear to us that the land is fragile. The land is controlled by, earth is controlled by uh, God. So it's a completely different perspective. And you will also find that the people really pushing this agenda come from that perspective. Uh, they're typically atheists. And so they look at uh, their God is Mother Earth. So you see that, you know, talked about a lot in their circles. They don't worship the creator, they worship the creation. And so that's really, if, if you really want to understand the difference between uh, stewardship and environmentalism and conservation, that's really the primary distinction between those. So this agenda to permanently protect 30% of the lands and oceans in America was launched by Biden January 27th of 2021 through an executive order. And uh, from that moment forward, we have been fighting a ground game against it. And we've had a lot of counties that have actively passed resolutions to oppose this. And we've really made a lot of progress. And it's come about because we have 
great activists on the ground that have picked up this battle and have fought it in their state. A good one is, um, of course, Angel, who's on the call, who really is the one who responsible for getting all the Kansas counties to pass the resolution opposing 30 by 30. We have people like that in every state doing this, and it's phenomenal. But how they are implementing this agenda is not through a congressional act or um, anything formal like that. This, this program is actually not congressionally authorized, has no constitutional basis for it. It's all being done by federal fiat. So what the Biden administration has done is they have taken every administrative agency and retooled them in order to achieve this agenda. So there are a lot of conservation programs that are funded through the, the uh, Department of Agriculture. And uh, what the Biden administration has done is use those programs to really ramp them up to get more lands enrolled, more private lands enrolled in these conservation programs, because that creates a federal nexus on the land, which gives them uh, a, a bit of control over the lands. It's going to be a while before we really see that play out, but it creates a federal nexus on the private property. 30 by 30 is, um, when it was first launched, a lot of people thought, well, this is just going to impact the federal lands, but that is not the case. Um, the federal government owns 27% of America's land base. And they said when they initiated this program that only 12% of the lands in America were permanently protected at the level that they are seeking for the 30. So that means by 2023, their goal is to add another 18% of land, or sorry, 2030, add another 18% of land uh, to that permanently protected status. So the permanently protected status, let me tell you what lands are included, things like our national parks. So here in Texas, that means Big Bend, uh, national wildlife refuges, wilderness areas, and conservation easements on private lands. And that's kind of the kicker. A lot of landowners think that conservation easements are good. They still have the title to it when they put a conservation easement on their land. But they actually, when they do a conservation easement, become the subservient estate, the servient landowner. They're, they're, they're no longer the primary, um, have primary control over that property. Either the land trust or the federal government does, depending on who holds that conservation easement. It's been a real um, troubling device that has... I think done a tremendous amount of harm to property rights in America is that conservation easement program. And I think landowners are starting to wake up to that because we've seen how uh, under 30 by 30, it, it's clearly becoming known as the control device to lock up the land. And uh, probably more importantly is the more recent battle that we just fought, which is the creation of natural asset companies. And I'm going to go ahead and just transition into that and talk a little bit about that um, before we turn it back over. Um, so as we were tracking the 30 by 30 issue and fighting this, we, we got notice of uh, the creation of what are called natural asset companies in September of 2021. And what this is, is a group called the Intrinsic Exchange Group, which is funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, so obviously that tells you a lot about the program already. And this group, uh, it created this new investment product and they partnered with the New York Stock Exchange, which actually has um, an ownership interest in the intrinsic exchange group. 
And they are they created a natural asset company, which they were trying to make this a new investment vehicle listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Now, what these natural asset companies would do is that uh, something called ecosystem services or ecological performance rights on the land could be enrolled in these natural asset companies and private investors then could um, could invest in these and profit off of these. So in a nutshell, what they were doing is these same people who are creating the natural asset companies were the same are the same people behind the 30 by 30 agenda, which is pushing fleecing Americans' rights to the property and, and creating all these protected lands. Um, and they were setting themselves up to be the ones who would profit off of these protected lands. A very clever scheme in order to uh, get control of our natural assets. So a couple of things with these natural asset companies, which is kind of hard to get your arms around, but there's, there's one key thing that these were doing that was so dangerous. Um, these ecosystem services that they were going to enroll included the natural processes, and they defined these as natural processes such as pollinization and photosynthesis. So these are things that have never been considered a property right that can be monetized before, ever before because these are things that every human, every life form needs. Also, they don't meet the definition of property. When you think of property, it's something you, you can exclude others from. This is something that you can't exclude people from breathing clean air. You can't exclude people from using pollen or benefiting from pollinization or photosynthesis. So it's a really asinine idea, but it was a very clever way to get control of the land. If they can enroll, first, if they can monetize these natural processes, enroll these in natural asset companies, then they were claiming ownership of these new natural processes. If they have ownership, then they're saying that they can decide who gets to use them. And that's what is so dangerous about this concept. So... Um, we, of course, tracked this since it first uh, jumped on the scene, and then we had to actively fight it in October 4th of 2023 is when we really had to get active with this campaign uh, because the Security Exchange Commission issued a proposed rule to authorize these, approve these, so that they could start creating these natural asset companies within 45 days after issuing that proposed rule. November 18th of 2023 was the day that they were going to approve creation of these natural asset companies. A couple of very dangerous things that you need to know about these. Number one, uh, the ecosystem services from land such as our national parks could be enrolled in these so that private investors uh, both foreign and domestic could invest in and profit off of our federal, of our federal lands. Uh, things like conservation easements, the actual easement, which is the development right, could be enrolled in these with or without the landowner's permission. And once they were enrolled in a NAC, the NAC had management authority over those resources. So by having management authority over this ecosystem services, they then had the ability to control the land. And all the lands uh, enrolled in a natural asset company had to be managed for their sustainability. And it specifically said there'd be no oil and gas or mineral development of these resources. And sustainability really was loosely defined, if at all, meaning 
they could change the definition and make it more restrictive uh, down the road if they wanted to. The other thing that was very dangerous about this is that it invited, the SEC rule invited foreign interest to uh, invest in these natural asset companies. So it was an open door for our foreign adversaries, such as China's sovereign wealth funds, or even Russian sovereign wealth funds, to invest in, control one of these NACs, and therefore control our natural resource development in America. I mean, this was going to be one of the easiest ways to literally take over our country, our enemies take over our country without a fight. Uh, this was a scary, scary proposal. And it's because of all of those things that we were pretty successful in getting key leaders to understand what this was quickly and fight it. And um, I'm not going to go into the, all the dynamics of how we got this thing stopped other than just to say uh, we got two delays, two very important delays. So we got a delay on the first 45-day uh, potential decision that they were going to make November 18th to January 2nd. And then we got a reopening of the comment period. And finally, enough pressure was put on them that um, on uh, January 18th, they uh, rescinded the rule to, to approve the natural asset companies. And, um, and we literally, in a very short time, less than three months, beat Wall Street, this intrinsic exchange group that was funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, the Biden administration, and the Security Exchange Commission. Uh, this is a huge, huge deal, and it is probably one of the most important grassroots victories that um, has been achieved in the Biden administration. And so um, I'm going to stop there. The last thing I want to say on this front is just for every one of you out there that helped us fight this, thank you, thank you, thank you. This was such an incredible battle that we had to win. Nax will be back. And there's a whole nother agenda called natural capital accounts, which we won't have time to get onto here, uh, that is going on that's in tandem with this. But um, if you want to track this issue and keep up with it, just sign up for our newsletter, the Liberty Matters newsletter. And we're reporting on this all the time and all the different steps that are in progression. So you'll get plugged into this whole battle. Hey, Margaret, where do folks sign up for that? Yeah, just go to americanstewards.us and we have a sign up box there and you can sign up and, and you'll get in our system. So I have a, we're going to do Q&A later, by the way. So if you guys want to put, uh, if you're watching and you have questions, put them in the comments and producer G will grab some of those and throw them to me. But I have a few questions for you before we get started. Margaret, you have a story about why you got involved in this issue. Could you briefly tell us that story? Yeah. So I was raised on a ranch in Nevada. And uh, if you know Nevada, Nevada is 87% federally owned. So very little private property in Nevada. So our ranch was a typical Nevada ranch. We ran on 1,100 square miles. Now, if you know Nevada, you know that it takes a lot of cows to, or a lot of acres to feed a cow. So uh, we were actually an average size ranch in Nevada. Out of that 1,100 square miles, only 7,000 acres of that was private property. Meaning everything we did on that ranch took federal permission to, to grow a cow, to raise a cow. And um, when we first bought the ranch, uh, we really thought we could develop a good relationship with the federal agencies, the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management, who controlled most of the, the grazing permits on that land that, that we had the right to. 
But from the moment we stepped on that ranch, one of the first things the Forest Service did is they filed an application over every one of our water rights. So in the federal lands, you don't, it, they're multiple use lands. So different users have different rights to that land. The government owns the underlying, uh, owns the land, but the different use rights are owned by individuals. And in particularly, uh, the water is actually owned by the state and then distribu was distributed and appropriated to the settlers. So we owned all the water on the federal lands on that 1,100 square miles. Well, the Forest Service wanted that. So they filed an application over all of our water rights and then proceeded to uh, impose their regulatory power to drive us out of business with the intent that if they could run us off the land, they would acquire that water uh, without having to pay any just compensation as is required under the Constitution. So that's basically what our battle was about. Uh, to put it in perspective, our property, our ranch, the water from our ranch would have been gravity flow to Las Vegas, <laughs> gravity flow to Los Angeles. So uh, a lot of people saw big, big dollars in acquiring that water without having to pay anything. So that's really what was behind our battle. We fought the, the agencies on the ground for 13 years, and I can tell you horror stories of some of the things that they did to us while there. Um, but in 1991, my parents filed the first federal lands grazing takings case in the U.S. Court of Federal Claims. And what we were trying to do was establish what did the Western rancher own and what didn't they own on the federal lands and get some clarity once and for all, which would have been extremely important for Western ranch, uh, landowners uh, to, to understand and know and have that security. We fought them in court for 27 years. We actually won every round. In fact, the U.S. Court of Federal Claims awarded us $14.4 million for the taking of our property. And um, so it was very successful until the very last court hearing, which was before the U.S. Court of um, the U.S., uh, the D.C. Circuit in Washington, D.C. And basically our case got before three Eastern judges that had no understanding of federal lands issues, which is very complex. And uh, I think they just punted. It was much easier to side with the federal government. So they never got into the property rights issues, but they dismissed our case based on, uh, they said that we didn't have standing and the case was not okay. ripe. So after 27 years, you would think, well, both of those things have been vetted out, but uh, that was just an easy way for them to uh, get rid of our case and, and us problem people that raise these constitutional issues. And that's an incredible story. And I can see why you're so passionate about this. Uh, and maybe this one's for Dan or you. Uh, which agencies are most involved in doing this and how do they kind of hide it? Like uh, one of the things that's been so surprising to me, there are so many different programs and ways that they do this that we might not even notice that it's going on. So the key to the, the two key departments are going to be the Department of Interior which Department of Interior controls most of the land uh, in the country. So that's your Bureau of Land Management, your National Parks, your Fish and Wildlife Service. So everything involving endangered species, which is such a, a tailor-made way for them to control private property is just through the listing of uh, species. So that's, that's one of the key, Department of Interior is the big one. The other is the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And here's kind of how I separate the two. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture is the entity that really doles out all the conservation funding. So I look at the Department of Interior is kind of the, the stick. 
In other words, they're the enforcement side. They have all of those uh, regulations and that all that regulatory authority to really restrict uh, land use, both private and federal. And uh, the USDA has all the money, so they have they have a pot of money for any conservation program you might might want. You want to rebuild a fence? They have Equip. Uh, you want to get paid for setting your acres aside for 10 years, they have the Conservation Reserve Program, and they'll pay you for that. Um, you um, All kinds of different things that they can do. They've Under the Biden administration, they have implemented a key part of the 30 by 30 agenda, which is to, to create funding pools to put in climate smart programs on private lands. And that's a special new bit, batch of money that they um, created in the Inflation Reduction Act. $20 billion. And so they are handing, the USDA is handing out money land over or hand over fist to private landowners uh, to get into these conservation programs because it creates that federal nexus. But here's the thing that's, that's probably um, the worst part about what they're doing. These conservation programs are not helping landowners. They're actually directly competing with working landowners. So for instance, just a very short story, landowner in Montana was going to lease his neighbor's property, um, put it in haying and grazing. The neighbor went and thought, checked out how much they would get if they enrolled it in the CRP program, which they would set that, side, that land aside for 10 years, no production off of it. And they could be, they would be paid a good four times as much by the federal government to set it aside than the working landowner could pay to lease that land and keep it in produ production. And so you have the federal government directly competing, outpricing the working landowner. So they're creating this situation where landowners, the only way they can stay in business is to take the federal funding, which is exactly what they want us to do because then they create that federal nexus on the land. Okay, you're terrifying me. <laughs> I mean, this is you're really welcome. Something, this is something I wanted people to understand. Like, I've known you guys for a while. I've known about this issue for a while. When I first went out to the COS activists around the country, most people didn't know anything about it. And the more that I've traveled around, the more I've crossed paths with people that do know about it inside the COS network. I've been doing everything I can to elevate knowledge about this and interest in this and appropriately fear of it. Uh, so somebody that I've worked with really closely for over 10 years now, that's Joanne Martin. We knew each other back in California when we were in the Tea Party days. We worked together inside Convention of States. She's one of our Convention of States employees. She's here in Texas, and she runs the Agriculture Rural Affairs Coalition in Texas, Laura. And so I want to bring Joanne on to give us some examples of this and what's actually happening on the ground in Texas. So I'm going to turn it to you, Joanne. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mark. And you're right, Margaret, this is terrifying. And that's another reason why I got involved. And one of the coalitions we started here uh, in COS, Texas, is called LARA, Livestock, Agriculture, and Rural Affairs. And the original purpose of it was to educate and encourage self-reliance within Texas communities on locally grown produce, meat, and dairy products to help facilitate the supply of those products through willing grocery retailers, farmers markets, and other cooperative outlets. And part of my motivation uh, for this also was coming off of 
the restrictions and lockdowns and COVID and, you know, grocery store shelves being empty, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, we, we need to uh, take ownership of this and not be so self-dependent de or not so dependent on um, big food, big pharma, you mention it because they are not our friend and they proved that over and over again, they are not our friend. So uh, the coalition was designed to, uh, and I've done that here in my community and there are others in uh, communities just like to the Northeast of uh, me that have kicked it up a notch. So what I'm promoting is, uh, I live in a rural community, so it's a little bit easier. I have chickens, I have livestock, uh, but I don't process my chickens, I get eggs. Uh, but I have local farmers markets and ranchers, actually local farmers on farms uh, that I've established relationships with where I can go and get things like meat and produce and dairy so that I am not dependent on the whims of um, the grocery store or have to depend on um, mystery meat. I'll just call it that mystery meat or mystery vegetables. So anyway, that was uh, the whole idea. And then as I started getting talking to some and making friends and relationships and networking with uh, local farmers and ranchers, uh, I started talking to them about their stories and especially what I was learning about uh, in the Agenda 3030. So I wanted to find out, has this affected you in any way? And when I kind of just scratched the surface, it was like a floodgate opening. And I think I have time uh, to tell at least one story. Uh, this ranch, this is a 400 acre ranch that is about a half a mile from me. Uh, one of the things that I'm able to get there is uh, beef. That's one of my uh, sources. But another business, another thriving business that he had on this 400 acres was he raised white-tailed deer. So he writes, um, Texas deer breeders are shutting down their operations and going out of business in record numbers. For the past 30 years, white-tailed deer breeding has been the fastest growing agricultural business in the USA and Texas. There are over a thousand white-tailed deer breeders in Texas who are highly regulated by the state um, parks and wildlife department. That booming deer business is now coming to a screeching halt and Texas deer breeders are shutting down their operations and going out of business in record numbers. Overwhelmed by regulation and destruction of whole healthy herds of animals for fear of a misunderstood disease called chronic wasting disease. And he goes on to say that if there is only one animal in a herd, in a pen that uh, they that test positive, they have to destroy the entire herd. There's no way to let them uh, free. There's no way to uh, sell them. They have to just destroy them. The testing is uh, prohibitive uh, and and if they do find anything, these uh, ranchers are being put out of business. 
Another business that I came across was uh, in the Gulf. Um, fishermen was were put out of business because the what they were fishing for in the Gulf uh, became an endangered species. Uh, that business overnight, they had a cease and desist order, were put out of business overnight. And uh, these are the types of things that we don't hear about. And I think it's really important uh, as a community, uh, if you can get to, even if you're in the city, get to know, uh, go to the local farmers markets. The ranchers and the farmers are coming in and attending uh, these local farmers markets. You can establish a relationship with them. You can look them right in the eye, find out, go visit their ranches uh, and start partner partnering with them. Uh, if nothing else, just to have uh, an alternative for acquiring food. <laughs> and with that, Mark, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Okay, so now I'm more terrified. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also more invigorated to be engaged and be involved. One of the things that did this for me, and this often happens in convention estates, is I travel all over the country and I meet grassroots activists that are way ahead of me on a lot of stuff. You know, I would say I get the benefit of what I call the wisdom of the crowd, which is all of you folks out there that are ahead on whatever issue is the issue that you're passionate about. And then I've crossed paths with you in the States. So a couple of years ago, I was out in uh, South Dakota and I happened to cross paths with Angel Cushing and I knew about her previously and she's been a leader against this mad land grab and Dave Schneider, one of our regional directors, introduced me to her. We got a chance to spend some time at a dinner together, and I was really inspired by her. And I told her, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my best to spread this around. Because one thing you have to understand about real grassroots, and this is specific to Convention of States, but it's how we work as a grassroots organization, is the way that I lead Convention of States is that I listen to what people tell me. I listen to what they need. I sense when there's a groundswell around something. I help spread it around. I and we as an organization provide the resources, provide people like Dan and Margaret and Angel and Joanne, what they need to work with us and make sure that we spread this around. So Angel Cushing is the person that I think gets the most kudos and, and most credit for helping me to understand that this issue is really important and there were people out there who cared. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Angel, and you can kind of give a brief on, on how this is spreading around the country inside COS and how you got involved in it. Thank you, Mark. Can you all hear me okay? Perfect. Well, great. I'm in Kansas, and this actually is the issue that brought me to Convention of States. My husband was active duty Army. I like to say that he traveled the world and, and uh, uh, fought the bad guy while I argued with uh, vegetables back home. This is the issue that brought me to Convention of States. I, I saw regulatory uh, pushing that almost made everything that I did illegal. We used to joke about having to sell black market cucumbers the way things were going. And then um, in 2019, as while I was thinking that, that I was an expert in this field, right underneath my nose, I found out that my county, my county, in a very agricultural livestock production stronghold was trying to ban barbed wire and electric fences. This is, this is the Flint Hills. This is cowboys. This is where we grow fat cows. And they were trying to pass planning and zoning regulations that would have banned barbed wire fences. 
And I want to stress that this is not just a rural issue. I didn't know it then because I, you know, they hadn't confessed to 30 by 30. So I didn't know that this also meant a homeowners association for everybody that lived inside of a city. So what 30 by 30 will look like is a national park basically that only elites are allowed to enter outside of your city and inside your city is a homeowners association to geared towards protecting the environment this directly affects how you live how you move and what food you're going to eat so i got involved and have been involved in convention estates for this issue because of this issue but in this fight i learned like like margaret and dan were talking about about other nexuses and other things that were going on and one of them was national heritage areas and trails which are jurisdictions that nobody in those properties have any idea that they have been uh, voted in by congress this boundary has been created with these big land management plans created by um, and ran by the National Park Service with their guiding and they have these boards that are not elected. So outside of your governing body that are not elected that are now pressuring your local communities to follow with preservation and recreation schemes that uh, align with basically with 30 by 30. And a lot of these had this history going on all over the country of encroachment on property rights. And we discovered we had one right next to us. So we began pushing really hard on one that was trying to go in north of us and the one next to us. And so just today, I wanna, I wanna tell you some good news. Just today, the, um, the Senate uh, Fed and State Committee passed out of committee a, a uh, a bill, so it, it still has to go to the floor and it still has to go through the House and the House Committee, but this bill would allow the, the state legislature to have a say, to vote on whether or not one of these jurisdictions can go in and because only Congress can do this, right? And without a convention of states, without pulling the National Park Service in front of the states, man, I wanna do that so bad. I wanna be there when when a convention is called and the National Park Service has to get in front of the states and justify their very covetous behavior over all of our private property. I want to be there for that. But without that, in short of that, the state has, um, has, has considered legislation that would allow the state to vote on it. And if that the state legislature doesn't approve of that, then to deny all state funding to that, and that's important because, because I want to say that that uh, the Congress is probably not the bad guy in this issue. A lot of our our local elected officials and our national officials are victims in these scenarios. One of the things that we discovered in our freedom of information request is that for five years they told Congress that every property owner wants this, loves these ideas. They think it's wonderful. It's kind of like naming a road. All you got to do is is just say yes on this. And so by allowing that state legislature to vote, it, it forces these, um, these special interest partners to be a little bit more transparent, to be a little bit more honest and allow the state legislature to keep an eye on these. So there are things that you can do. There, there is um, one of the ways that we did this 
is is we played a little bit with nullification. We asked for um, resolutions passed by the counties because that's a voice of the people, right? And in one particular national heritage area, we had 45 counties out of those 49 counties pass a resolution saying they did not want to be in this. So this helped the state legislature to listen. So as scary and as frightening as all of this is, um, it can be fought back and it can be pushed back. It does not negate the fact that we need a convention of states. We absolutely do. Um, because the only way you're going to stop this coveting is to um, is to make the National Park Service and the Department of Interior roll back into uh, their, their constitutional boundaries, I guess you could say. So um, thank you. Thank you guys for having this. Thank you everybody for coming on here and, and thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much, Angel. You're the one who brought me into this fight and I really appreciate it. I, I wanna go back to Dan and Margaret. We've got a bunch of questions. And so I wanna, I just wanna run through as many of these as we can, as quickly as we can. Uh, first question is from Thomas Sutrina. He says, is 3030 related to the World Economic Forum? Yeah, I mean, that's really, they're behind it. So they're the the um, money people. And ultimately, they're the ones who are going to profit from this. So for instance, um, how we've tracked this is um, when the Inflation Reduction Act was passed in 2022, August of 2022, it's really interesting. Uh, we picked up an article on um, a new environmental campaign came out called Rewilding the American West. And this is where they would essentially create these two corridors from Canada to Mexico across the Western lands, completely locked up from any human use. So it was kind of like the next stage in this battle. And, and they created like these 5,000 uh, or 12 different little areas that they were going to create to connect them all together to create this contiguous corridor uh, locking the people out for wildlife corridors, basically. And when that came out, you know, the way it came out, rolled out, we knew, okay, this is the next big agenda they're going to be pushing in the West. Well, within days, the World Economic Forum had that story up on their website. So, you know, to, that was pretty obvious who was really behind and pushing this land grab. Uh, yes, they are absolutely involved in this. They are uh, involved in the creation of the natural asset companies. If you look at, um, you can go to the Intrinsic Exchange Group's website, and they have a list of who is funding them and who is supporting them. And um, so a lot of your big financial backers that are also involved in World Economic Forum are involved. And then your big environmental groups like the Nature Conservancy is one of the supporting groups, which is the largest land trust in the, in the world. So, yes, all the people, the money, this is, this is, it's a really good question because actually it gets to the heart of what this is all about. Dad told uh, us this years and years ago when we were fighting the environmentalists on our, our property. And he said, the environmental movement is not about whether we're going to use the resources. It's about who is going to use the resources. So this has always been a question of whoever owns the land gets to profit from that land. And they don't like it that the American people, the middle class, actually own the majority of America. Um, we put an article on our website that we wrote a couple of years ago called Climate Crisis Robber Barons. And that'll really answer that question because it's really, if you remember the history of the robber barons of the olden days uh, with uh, where they were monopolizing industry uh, and, and chasing out their competitors, 
they are also the same group that actually created the lockup of the West so that 50% of the West is federalized. And that story is really interesting for you to, to read. You'll get that history. But that really describes who we're fighting. They are the climate crisis robber barons. And so, yes, the World Economic Forum and all those players behind this. Okay, so next question is from EJO24. Uh, interesting name. It says, like Nevada, Utah is largely Fed-owned as well. How can we push back, not just for the land, but for the air, water, and mineral rights as well? So one of the things that everybody should be looking at their state uh, right now is looking for the legislation that's being put. When the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, it created 20 billion funds that, they could, that the federal government was going to be distributing uh, for these conservation programs. However, they're being distributed and they require matching funds. So the only way the environmentalists can access these is if there's like big state funds that will contribute the uh, matching grant to that. So that is requiring a number of states to have to create these conservation funds. There's something like that in Utah right now being pushed. In fact, um, Utah State Treasurer Marla Oaks is phenomenal. He was one of the key, key players that helped to stop the natural asset companies. He understands this issue. He understands the dangers of conservation easements. And in state, he's come under fire because he has asked the legislature just to kind of put the brakes on them until it can really be vetted out. But these people who want the money are ferocious. And so they're fighting him pretty hard. In Texas, um, Mark, I don't know if you remember this battle here, but last uh, legislative session, the Texas legislature was trying to create a land and water conservation fund for the same purposes. Uh, they were going to take $2 billion from our rainy day funds to put into this conservation program so that our state agencies could go out and create conservation easements on our private property in the state and get that control. That would, that would make them... Uh, able to enroll them in these natural asset companies or just putting them into the 30 by 30 program because conservation easements are considered a part of that. So very, very dangerous. But this move is happening in every state legislature. You need to be watching for it. We know it's actively be being done in Kansas and, and in Tennessee. Uh, right now there's bills going through, but that's something you can do at your state level. What I would say is when you hear, see any bill that has the word conservation in it, the hair on the back of your neck should go up. And you need to look at that bill very closely to see what they're doing. Do you guys track those things on your website? We do. We track a few of them, the ones that we're actively involved in. We really depend on um, the grassroots telling us what they need. So in other words, we're, we're a national organization, but we don't impose our agenda on, on states. Right. But if uh, an entity asks us to come in and help them on an issue and it aligns with our property rights values, we are all in to help. Them. And so that's really so the, the ones that we're tracking are the ones that people have brought to us and asked for our help on. So is that something that would be helpful for our activists and convention of states to do is to help keep you guys informed what's going on in their state and locally and kind of raising the red flag and saying, hey, we got an issue here? 
Yes, that would be very helpful. I'll tell you how we learned about the one uh, here in Texas was we did a presentation in Sun City, very close, you know, obvious Mark, we yep. live very close to that. We know yep. it very well. We gave a presentation there uh, one evening and uh, the next night we had a call from somebody who went through that presentation and said, I think there's a bill going through the Texas legislature that's doing exactly what you were talking about. So she sent us the bill. We read it. And then um, Dan's the one who jumped all over it. And he actually is the only one who stood up and testified against it. Uh, which was had to happen on, I think, the next Monday. And um, and he got it stopped. It actually passed the House, but it, it didn't pass in the Senate. But um, yeah, we totally, I mean, even in state, we are nationally focused on the a lot of what's going on at the federal level, so we don't track the state. So that would be very, very helpful to us. Is this going on also at the local level? Yes. So, uh, and this is where the federal funding really comes in. So again, I'm going to use an example close to home. We have an organization in Texas, and most states have this. In Texas, it's called the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. And it's usually the agriculture groups, the big agriculture groups that get together, and they've created a way for these agriculture groups to actually enroll these conservation easements on private land. They take the they take the approach of, hey, if we do it, it's okay, because we're going to protect the landowner, and uh, which you still can't change the nature of what the conservation easement does. So it's really, it, it's a not a good position. But we have TALT in Texas, and TALT just recently was given a huge grant. Dan, you remember the, you probably remember the number on this. Seven million dollar grant for the Nueces watershed to purchase so, conservation easements by the federal government out of this um, one of their, they have like a regional partnership program where they give, they give environmental groups, federal dollars to go out and basically pressure landowners into voluntarily putting conservation easements on their land. And uh, there's another pot of funding that Department of Interior gave to a nonprofit called the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. They've actually committed to a billion dollars into that fund. And so, you, so groups can make applications to that to get grant funding from them. Well, the Hill Country Conservancy Group uh, got a huge, like millions of dollars to um, a free money from this entity to go around into our hill country, I mean, right in our backyard, right? Yep. To pressure landowners into putting conservation easements on their land. So remember when I say free money, this is our tax dollar money right. that they are getting right. uh, in order to encumber our private property. That's just a sampling of what's going on in our area, but that is happening nationwide. So everybody on the call, you just, you need to be, watching for these things um, and then helping to pressure this at the local level. You've got to educate at the local level. And the key thing to remember, which I know your group understands, that's why you're a grassroots group, is everything that they do has to be implemented locally. Everything. Which means that's exactly where we can stop it. Right. Are churches at all involved in this? I've got a question from Alex Gallimore saying, what can we do to get the American church to wake up to this madness? You know, I think what I've seen, I know our church has done a really good job at, uh, they did a really good sermon series on um, the role of government and the role of churches and who should do what from biblical perspectives. 
And I think right. that's really where it starts. What is what is God, what responsibility does God give to the individual, to the family, to the church, and to government? And if we get back to those principles, we can solve a lot of these problems. Right. And but I think that our churches need to be more courageous and really not be so afraid to get involved in the politics. They just simply need to teach what the Bible says. And, and doing that will clarify for a lot of people, the people in sitting in their pews, it will clarify the role of the difference between what the church should do and government should do. You know, government's role should be to protect those who are good and punish those who are bad, period, period. And so that makes it very, very simple. And if we get back to those to that application, uh, it will fundamentally change how our nation is is um, governed. But uh, a lot of churches just don't teach that, and it's pretty simple. But it's like all things, you know. Good education uh, creates good policy, right. and that I think is the role that churches need to play in this. They don't have to get in politics; they just need to teach the Bible. Yeah, so we got about uh, three minutes left. I want to wrap with this, which is these folks are on this call because they're activists. They want to be involved and they they want to be engaged. They want to know what to do. So how do people who are on this call get engaged? And how can we as an organization help support what you're doing? What we want to do, and you and I, we've been talking about this for a while now. What I always want to do is not just say, oh, well, our people should go support you, which they should, by the way, 100%. But even more than that, how can we as an organization support you make sure that we're working together? What do you suggest the next steps are? Well, I think one of the things that's really good is um, your people are very active on the ground. Uh, they're active in the political situation. And I know one of the things that we had a conversation about is just even confronting uh, people who are running for office and asking those simple questions. What's your position on 30 by 30? I mean, that's actually a really good question because you'll find out that a lot of people don't know about it or they're on the wrong side. And you will spot who is who who really is um, up to date on these kind of issues. But just simply by putting that question to elected to people running for office is really powerful. Um, that's that's one very simple thing that they can do. And uh, that raises the awareness of the issue. And we do believe awareness and education is key. Uh, the second thing, which we've already really talked about, is just keeping an eye on the state issues, what's going on in, in your state legislatures, and what's happening local. And um, and then reaching out to us if you think that there's something that we ought to be apprised of. And, you know, one of the, we do try to help on these at the local level as best we can. We're, we're kind of a small shop, but we, we try to get involved as many as we can. So those are the key things, I think, just staying apprised and keeping us up to date and then actively opposing these things on the ground. And if folks need to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Yeah, just um, contact us through ASL at americanstewards.us or americanstewards, yeah, .us. That's our email. And um, you can also, you know, sign up on our, our Twitter account. We have a Twitter account, ASL underscore Liberty is another good one. Uh, it's um, it's a way to kind of track the issues. We try to keep people, you know, pinged on the key things that are happening so that you guys are always in front of these and not behind them. Okay, so here's my ask to all of you who are on. What I'm looking for personally is I'm looking for the sentinels or the watchers on the wall. 
because these are our property rights. Most people don't realize that uh, we were supposed to, it was a country founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, that was originally life, liberty, and property. And we switched in this country to the language pursuit of happiness because of slavery and people were worried about the language property and slavery and didn't want to get that all wrapped it, wrapped up in that on that issue. But property is fundamental to life and liberty and everything else we have in this country. It's one of the pillars of self-governance. So we have to protect this. So my goal is that in every state, we have at least one watcher on the wall who's paying attention to this stuff in state. And ultimately that'll lead to a lot more because we need folks paying attention to it, not just nationally, which you guys are doing, ASL's doing, but also on the state level, which we can do for you as an organization. And then also within each state at the local level. And we have teams of people in every state. So I'm counting on you guys out there to get involved. We're going to be doing more of this on a more concerted and organized basis. And I'm going to have Angel and Joanne leading the way for us on this. These are volunteers that are already passionate about this. You guys are going to hear more from us, from me, talking about this. Again, my job is to elevate the things that you guys already care about. So as I travel around the country, I'm going to be collecting information on this. I'm going to be talking to folks on this. Uh, I'm going to be connecting you with Joanne and Angel. If you're on this call and you want to be involved, uh, I'm going to give out Joanne's email address to start. I think Angel. Angel, do you have a uh, COS address? Is it a Cushing at? I have no idea. I, I use my husband's uh, email address, which is um, uh, actually the easiest way to do that is Tom Loves Angel at msn.com. There you go. Tom Loves Angel at MSN. Everybody loves Angel. Tom Loves <laughs> Angel at msn.com. And then Joanne, yours is Jay Martin at COS Action. So Jay, Jay at COSAction.com. And just a quick side note just got a text from a, uh, uh, commissioner candidate uh, asking me for more information on this because she is watching. So Okay, so that's what I'm asking you guys to do. Contact Joanne, contact Angel, get involved, be one of our watchers on the walls, and uh, then absolutely go to americanstewards.us and sign up for their emails. Pay attention to their website, sign up for their Twitter so that you guys know what's going on. Help them to help us by letting them know what's going on out there in the States. I want to thank all four of you for being on tonight and for educating our folks. This is one of the most important issues we're facing in our country. I think it tends to get buried in elections and all the more sexy issues, but I can't imagine anything more important than our government trying to take away our property rights. So thank you guys for being in the fight. Thank you for being uh, friends and warriors, and we'll do this again soon. God bless you guys. To learn more about our grassroots movement, go to www.conventionofstates.com.